I am a two-time cancer survivor. It's been a while. My dad went through cancer before I went through cancer. But what I want to do tonight, I want everybody in here to stop and think about a time in your life that was, you would consider the best time of your life. It might be when you were a kid. It might be when you were a teenager or young adult, when you first got married, you got your first job. I want you to think about that time. Think about how comfortable life was. You know, unlike most of us, probably we all owe money, but you may, it may be a time when you paid something off and you're no longer in debt. I want you to think about that time. Just think about it for a minute. Take a few deep breaths and just think how, how good that felt. Now think about these words. You have cancer. Because that's, I know that you probably wouldn't expect in those next few words to come out. Well, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you don't expect to hear those words. You never can prepare to hear those words. I would probably think, in my case, I probably shouldn't have been as prepared as anybody. My dad, um, four years, almost four years before I was diagnosed, he was diagnosed with terminal colon cancer. And so when he started going through that, I started doing a lot of research. And so uh, I realized the hereditary factor that was associated with the cancer that I had. And so I, I guess I should have been prepared because I kind of knew that that disposition was there. Uh, but for some reason, I still wasn't prepared. And I don't think you can be. I wasn't prepared when it happened to me 15 years ago. And I wasn't prepared when it happened again 13 years ago. And I won't be prepared for it if it happens again. As far as hearing that news. Um, you know, the Bible tells us you know, Jesus said, you know, there's going to be tribulations, but fear not, I have conquered the world. And it's not so as important if you're prepared for it, but how you respond to that. How do you respond to those adversities in your life that just pull the rug right out from under you? How do you respond to that? Well, there's three things you can do. You can go contrary to God's will. You can fight God all the way. You can be indifferent and just not think about God. You just go your, do your own thing. Or you can embrace God's grace during that time. I tried all three. One of those works. And we all know what that is. Sometimes it's hard to think about. And, and somebody as stubborn as I am, and my wife will tell you, I'm very stubborn. Uh, it takes a while for me to get there. And so God had a plan for me. And so when my dad was going through that, my dad was a deacon at a church down, down the street here at Daly Street. He taught Sunday school. And uh, he was as godly a man as any man I knew. And I watched his cancer week after week, month after month, take life from him. And I can't say that I was living the life that I should have been living. I can't say that I was. Um, but I was bitter. I was angry. I was mad. Because I would do things and say, you know, there's people that I know that are more deserving to have to go through this than he is. That's my judgment, but that's where I was. It's not right, but that's what I did. And I watched him go through it. And it was better. And 17 months goes by. And he continued, his health continued, and continued to deteriorate. 
And I was decided, I decided, you know what, I'm going to, this is not going to happen. I'm going to find a cure for him. Didn't matter what God wanted. I was going to take care of this. And so I started researching. I started trying to find doctors. I talked to doctors all over the country. Cancer centers all over the country. I was researching what new medicines were out there. Clinical trials. There's a sea of information that you have to weed through when you've got somebody that's going through cancer or if you're going through cancer. There's a sea of information out there. And I was going through it all and we were trying to find, as a family, we were trying to find Dad a miracle. Because they told us, they said he needed to get his affairs in order the day he was diagnosed. And he had a 5% chance of living five years. But it didn't matter what God's plan was. My plan was, was I was going to find that one thing that was going to help my dad survive his cancer. And I know dad, they prayed for dad. I, you know, the church prayed for him. And the whole time I became more bitter and more angry. And I, and I was saved when I was, young, when I was a young kid. But this was, this was devastating to me. And so I was angry with God. And the night he took, the only, the only comfort that I felt was the night that he passed away. And I believe Sparks Harper's. He here? He was, he was there that night. Um, right as he took his last breath, I saw a look on his face that I hadn't seen the whole time he was sick. And I know that he saw heaven. But that still wasn't enough for me. I hadn't grieved that whole time my dad was going through that. I was too bitter. I was too angry. I was too determined that I was going to find something that was going to save his life. And all that grief come down on my shoulders at one time. And I couldn't deal with it. Two years pass, passes. I didn't have any conversations with God. I didn't want to talk to God. And then I started having some symptoms, kind of like what my dad had. And so I go to the doctor, and he tells me, we'll do this test. I think you're fine. I was 38 years old. He said, you know, it's probably Giardia. It's a bacteria infection. So I go and I have a colonoscopy and I wake up in the hospital. And they said, you've got a major tumor and it's got to come out now. I was total shock. I, I could not believe that I had lost my dad and now the same disease in my 30s was attacking me. Less than 4% of the people that get colon cancer are under 40 and here I was. In between my dad being diagnosed and my diagnosis, my uncle Chuck, my dad's brother Chuck was diagnosed and his daughter Jan was diagnosed and Jan actually died after my dad passed away, Jan passed away while Chuck was, after Chuck was diagnosed and then I was diagnosed and uncle Chuck died. My granddad died when I was uh, a senior in high school so we were 0 for 4 fighting cancer, so I didn't really like my chances very much. But I did something when I was in the hospital and I was recuperating. Somebody had bought me the book, It's Not About the Bike. That's the Lance Armstrong book where he, you know, he was at that time, he was at, at the peak of his career. Now, this was, he wasn't doping then as far as anybody knew, but he, uh, he was in the peak of his, of his career, cycling career. And I read that book. And I don't want to say it inspired me to do something, but it gave me an idea. I started reflecting on my life, and I thought, you know, I haven't done anything 
significant in my life that my son's going to remember me by. My son was seven years old when I was diagnosed. And I thought, what would he remember? He knew he wouldn't remember much about my dad because he was five when my dad passed away. And I thought, what's he going to remember? So I just wanted to do something significant. So I, I dreamed up this idea that I was going to get a bike, and I was going to go. I wasn't a cyclist. I didn't, I didn't have a road bike. It's, nobody was really cycling much in this area like they are now. But I was going to get a bike, and I was going to go to Austin, Texas, and I was going to ride 100 miles. And I'm thinking, how hard can that be? And so the last week I was on chemo, I wore a chemo pump. They, when I was diagnosed, they, um, they hooked a chemo pump up to me, and I had to get chemotherapy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The first eight weeks of that um, was radiation every day. And so I went from 188 pounds to 148 pounds that quick. But on the last week I was on chemo, I had decided I was going to get me a bike and I was going to ride. And so... In Jacksonville, there's a street called Francis Street. Most of y'all probably don't know where that is, but it's close to Jacksonville State. And I got on the bike trail, which is as flat as this floor, and I started riding. I thought, how hard could 100 miles be? And I got to the Alexander Jacksonville Highway, and I was out of gas. That's a mile and a half. A mile and a half. I didn't think I was going to make it back to the truck, and that's the truth. Uh, there were people running, passing me on the way back. And so I realized, well, if I could just do that 60 more times, I could ride 100 miles. But it's a little bit harder on the road. I just didn't know that at the time. But I would train. I would get up every day that I wasn't working or when I would work. As soon as I'd get home, I'd get on the bike, and I would train. I didn't pray. I didn't think about God. I didn't think about how God could help me. I just trained. Saturdays would come, and I would ride for five, four or five hours. Sundays would come. I'd do the same thing. And I would put in two, three hundred miles every week. Just train, just train. All I was thinking about was just going to Austin. I might have one shot at it, and I have to go. And that was my mindset. That's all I thought about. You'd think after seeing somebody go through that, and you going through it, you'd think the first thing you'd do would be turn to God. But I didn't. I just trained. If it rained, I was on the bike. If it snowed, I'd try to get on the bike. If it was windy, it didn't matter. Thunder, lightning, I was on a bike. That's, I was obsessed with it. And I spent a lot of hours doing it. And some of that anger, I guess I had, and I, I was taking it out on the bike. And I don't mean I did. I, was, I got where I could ride 100 miles. It took me about two years, but I got where I could ride 100 miles in about five and a half hours. That's, that's pretty good for somebody that was my age. And so I decide that I'm going to go to Austin. And uh, I make my reservations, get my hotel room, set to go. A week before I'm to head out, I have to go see my oncologist. And I've been getting clean scans every six months, blood work, everything's been great. And I'm sitting in the oncologist's office that day, and it's by myself. And I had never had any doubt. I'd been healthy, I'd ridden 70 miles that Saturday, this was on a Monday. <laughs> I had never had any doubt that I was healthy as I could be. I was eating right. I was taking supplements. Everything you could possibly do to be healthy, I was doing. I couldn't think of one single thing that I wasn't doing to not have cancer again. And so I'm sitting in there, and all of a sudden this thought comes to, to mind. And, and as normal, normally he would come in within 10 minutes or so. And I'd been in there a pretty long time, so my mind got to wondering. I thought, what am I going to do? 
if he comes in and says your cancer's back and it's in your liver, because that's ultimately what killed my dad when it got in his liver, what are you going to do? And I'm thinking, where is this coming from? Why am I thinking that way? Never had that thought. From the day I was diagnosed, I never had that thought. So he comes in and he sits down and Dr. Posey and I actually became friends. I got him into cycling. And he takes, he looks at the chart and he starts reading and I see him pull a pen out and he starts circling. Circle. And I thought, he's never done that before. And he looks at me and he said, I'm sorry to tell you but your cancer's come back and it's in your liver. I said, well, what are my chances? I knew the answer to that before I asked him because I had done research for years when dad was going through it. And he said, about 30%. 30%. I don't remember leaving. I don't remember driving home. I don't remember making phone calls. I made a couple of phone calls. I found out later, but I don't remember them. I don't have any idea. I went home and I pitched a pity party for me. And I just almost said, well, you know what? This is it. I'm not going to do anything else. But I still had that little boy. And I decided, well, I, you know, I'll go ahead and do the chemo and I'll do what they recommend. So back on chemotherapy. I didn't go to Austin. I went on chemo instead. So a couple of months of chemotherapy, and the doctor said, we think we can cut it out of your liver. We think we can reset your liver and cut it out. So surgery, week before Christmas, they get in there, they can't find it. But they know it's in there somewhere, and it's going to come back. So they said, we're just going to take the whole right of your liver out. So they did. So now I've got half liver, I've got about a foot and a half less colon. I don't have an appendix. I don't have a gallbladder. I got a lot of staples. But I don't have any of that other stuff in there. So, But I had surgery. And then they sent me home. And it was the day before Christmas Eve that I went home. And that's when things changed. That's when I didn't, wasn't running counter to God. That's when I wasn't indifferent to what God wanted. This is where he brought me. And so I'm at home, and, you know, when you go in the hospital, they want you to eat solid food before you leave. And that's to make sure that your intestines have woken back up and everything's working. I don't think they did that. I don't remember them doing that. They sent me home, though. And so I'm at home, and all of a sudden, I feel like that I can't. I'm just bloating. I'm just getting larger and larger. I'm in constant pain excruciating pain and I can't sleep what had happened was my intestines went to sleep or never woke back up it's called an ileus I found out a couple years ago it happened to me again actually and Bridget knows what I'm talking about but my intestines went to sleep food just went there and stopped and it's a very painful and, and it's, it can kill you it's deadly and but I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that I was just getting bigger and bigger. And then I couldn't eat. I couldn't eat. I couldn't get any strength. I couldn't get any strength. I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk. I couldn't get things going again. So it was a vicious cycle. I was just in a catch-22. Five days goes by, no food, no sleep, and constant pain. And let me tell you, that'll take you to a place that you can't even imagine being. 
you don't sleep, you get a little bit delirious. You get thinking about, it's almost psychotic what, you, what you've become. And I wanted it to end. I did. I wanted it to end. And I, I hit my knees that night. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I said, God, I, I don't know what you want from me. I don't. I said, I've done everything I can do to not have cancer. Everything I can do. I hadn't, but I said that. And I've still got cancer, and I can't sleep, and I can't eat, and I can't do this anymore. I can't. I don't know what you want. But whatever it is, I'll do whatever you want for me. I want to live long enough to see my kid grow up. I want to see him get married, have kids. I want to see that. I had no idea whether he would let me do that or not, but that's what I asked for. And I said, and please just let me go to sleep. I wanted to sleep so bad. Within 15 minutes, I crawled back in the bed. Within 15 minutes, my pain subsided. Not completely, but enough for me to go to sleep. Woke up the next morning. I slept about five hours. Woke up the next morning. I hadn't had enough strength to walk through the house from one end to the other up until that next morning. I walked to my mailbox and back. It was two-tenths of a mile there, two-tenths of a mile back. And I did it again later that day and I started to realize after that I thought you know maybe that's what God wanted all along he just wanted me to give it to him just this is yours God I can't do it anymore it's yours because I knew at that moment it was bigger than I was none of the training that I did none of the healthy eating that I did didn't matter but it also didn't matter what God decided to do. I, I realized at that point that whatever God's will in my life was was going to be what God's will in my life was. Whatever that was. And I was okay. I was okay with that. Whether that was lasted a year and then I succumbed to my disease or lived to see my kid grow up, get married, have his own kids. So I give up the idea of going to Austin. Didn't matter anymore. Austin didn't matter. The house I lived in didn't matter. The job I had didn't matter. How much money I had in the bank didn't matter because once I had lost everything else, none of that stuff mattered at all. God was seeing, allowing me to see life through a different set of lens. And I still see life in that, through those lens today. But God is good. And so a few months passes, I'd hung my bike up on the, in the garage, and dust was on the wheels, the tires were flat. And all I had been talking about to my son was going to Austin. Going to Austin, meeting Lance Armstrong, we were going to go out there. And I'd never told him that I had cancer. I'd never told him. I didn't want to steal any joy from his childhood. I never told him that. So we're in the garage, it's about April. Now, the, the ride's in October, and so, you know, I had gone through chemo all the way up through March. And so we're in the garage in April, and we're just kind of piddling in the garage. And I had felt guilty about spending all that time on that bike and not with him. I thought, I could have been making memories with him instead of training on that stupid bike. And so we're out there cleaning, and, and he looks at me, and he says, Dad, when are you going to get back on your bike? And I said, I'm don't think I'm going to get back on my bike. And he said, well, 
I thought you were going to go to Austin. I thought you were going to ride with Lance Armstrong. And I looked at him, and I thought for a minute, and I thought, you know, is he saying more? Is he asking me more than what it really is? And I said, Dane, do you know what's wrong with me? And he said, yeah. He said, you got cancer like Papa. He knew. He'd never said anything, but he knew. And I said, yeah. And I realized then, he's watching me quit. I need to go to Austin. If I don't do it one time, I need to go to Austin. So, just like that, God put a thought in my mind. And I said, Dane, if I get you a bike, would you ride with me? Big old grin come up on his face. And he said, yeah, I'd, I'd like that. He, he, that was a great idea, you know. And God put that in my, on my heart. And I thought, he could spend time with me. We could share, he could share this cancer journey with me. And we could be spending that time together while we're riding. And so what I would do is I would come in and we would ride sometimes in the afternoons. And on Saturdays, I would get up at like 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning. I'd ride for two or three hours, come home, get him, load the bikes back up, go back and ride some more. Because he was too young to, to ride the full event. But I trained. In October, when it got ready to go to Austin, I was wanting him to go. I wanted him to go see me cross that finish line because it was kind of a commitment I would promised to him that I would do that day in the garage. And he wasn't able to go. He didn't have anybody to go with him to watch him while I was on a bike for six hours. So I went alone. But I finished. But I wasn't finished. God allowed me to get back on the bike, and he allowed me to train again for another year. And I decided then, if Dane has to ride with me, and we ride 50 miles or 25 miles or 40 miles or whatever we ride, he's going with me, and we're going to ride in that ride. So the next year, that's exactly what I, I did. I went out there, and this time he had somebody to go with him, and they were able to stay with him while I was riding, and he got to see me cross that finish line after riding 100 miles. And I tell you this story because I know that there's people here that's facing adversity. Some of you probably had cancer. Some of you may be facing cancer right now. It may be something else. You know, me and Michael talked uh, earlier last week, and we talked about how, you know, there's a lot of people that's suffering. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible world we live in. And, you know, the Bible tells us that if necessary that our faith will be, and I think it's in Corinthians, he says our faith will be tried by fire. It's kind of like gold. You know, he says our faith is more precious than gold. You know, to purify gold, what do they do? They heat it by fire and they take the impurities out. Well, that's the way our faith is. We get tried by fire sometimes. So that's what God was doing with me the whole time. I'm convinced of that 100%. Because the Bible also tells us that through our own tribulations, through our own trials, that we learn how to be compassionate for people that's also going through that. The Bible tells us that there's, there's a reason that we go through things like what I went through. And all this time I was asking, why, why, why did my dad go through that? And I won't always have, we will never have all the answers. Not on this side of heaven, we will one day. But I know a lot about why I went through what I went through. I know that my dad going through what he went through, I know that he, it prepared me to go through it for myself. 
I know that God kept after me and after me until I finally did what he wanted me to do. And that was trusting him. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes, but when you're sick and you don't have anything else, that's the only place you're ever going to find peace. It's the only place you're ever going to find comfort. Because I've tried it the other ways and you can't find it. I know that God left me here for a reason and we're all here for a reason. You're here for a reason right now. And people are watching and people think, you know, so-and-so is going through cancer. So-and-so is going through, you know, some illness. It may be financial. It may be a relationship issue. Whatever it is. I know that giving it to God, just give it to him and forget about it. Live your life, be happy, and let God take care of that stuff. And that's what I did. I haven't worried about cancer one single time since that night I prayed. Not once. I haven't been angry what happened to me. I have a lot of ailments that I deal with all the time because of what happened to me. I'm not angry about it. I'm at peace because I know that's where God brought me. And he brought me here. He gave me a story that I'm sharing with you tonight. So I want to close with a prayer. Uh, if ever how, every head bow, every eyes closed. God, we love you. We know, Lord, that you're the only one that can provide peace in our greatest hour of need. Teach us, Lord, to put our complete faith in you. In your will and your plan for our lives. Give us strength, Lord. And give us understanding. That through our own trials, our own tribulations, that we can help others. We thank you, Father, for sending your only Son to atone for our sins. For giving us, Lord, that peace and comfort in our, in our tribulations. We know, Lord, that that's, that's the only way we can find that in our hearts. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Brother Michael. I know that he's a good man of God. I've known him a long time. And you're blessed to have him, Lord, and I, I, he's blessed to have you. And I, I know this church is thankful for Michael, and I'm thankful for this church. Lord, bless us as we go through this week. Protect us. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.